Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, so far we've talked about how God is accelerating the Israelites through the desert into the promised land. This was the land of blessing, abundance, provision, protection. Uh, It was Abraham who first received that promise. God was moving his people in after 40 years in the desert. So we started two Wednesdays ago where we talked about how anointing strengthens our church family, how God accelerates us, uh, the anointing is there, and then it strengthens our church family. Last Sunday, we talked about acceleration bringing alignment, how we are to prepare our provisions and how we are to consecrate ourselves for what God wants to do in our lives. And then this past Wednesday, we talked about how alignment leads us to ongoing and lasting transformation. So today we're going to talk about how God's acceleration in our life brings access, greater access, uh, whether it's new territories the Lord's bringing you into spiritually or physically speaking, or whether it's an increased amount of faith, that we have a greater access as the Lord is moving us forward in his kingdom to believe for greater breakthrough. I believe as he is, as we're stepping on the gas pedal, we're spending more time with him and we're continuing to fast, read his word and press into him. I believe that he does accelerate our lives. But with that, he doesn't want us to have less faith. He doesn't want us to have a, a smaller idea of what he wants to do. He wants to continue to expand that as well. Just like his word says, of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. So that means his kingdom is growing and growing and growing. So we have to live with that same anticipation that the faith we woke up with yesterday isn't going to be the faith that he wants to give us today. Does that make sense? So he wants to accelerate our lives. He wants to give us access to greater areas of influence, but he also wants to increase the faith that we have so we actually believe that that favor is ultimately from him, not from ourselves, that we could step into what he has for us with the favor that he brings us. Can you say amen? amen. Joshua 3, we saw that they crossed through the Jordan River into the promised land. Joshua chapter 4 This is when the Lord told Joshua to have 12 men pick up stones right from the place of where the Ark of the Covenant was. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence in the Old Testament. So they didn't take the stones from the beginning of uh, the river. They didn't take it from the end of the river. They took it right from where the presence of God was. And I love that because then every time after they set that memorial up in Gilgal, every time they looked at those stones, they remembered, that's what the presence of God did. This is what he did. He got us out of slavery through this preparation season, though it lasted way too long than God ever intended it to, but finally brought us into the lamb he promised to our forefather, Abraham. Now in Joshua chapter five, this is where they set up the memorial. This is where Joshua circumcised each of the men that had grown up in the wilderness. This was a sign marking they were God's chosen people. In Genesis 17, it said that no one, no man who was circumcised or any man that was uncircumcised could not continue to be in the covenant. And they also could not participate in the Passover. So this action, this act, this religious uh, ceremony had to take place once they entered in to the promised land. I want to pick up with Joshua chapter five. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up with me uh, starting at verse 10. I'm reading from the translation of the Bible that's in your pews. It's the New Living Translation. Starting at verse 10, it says this, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal, so this is where they set up 
the memorial. This is where Joshua circumcised all of the men that were of the age of battle, 20 years and older. It says, they came to Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. They celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Now, I used to just like fly through these. 14th day of the first month, okay, let's get somewhere else. You know, you, you don't follow these things out until you understand God's perfect timing. If you see God's timing throughout the Bible of how he lines all of these things up, you'll have greater faith to understand. He's lining the details of your life up. He has perfect timing. I've heard it before, you know, it's like God's rarely early, he's never late, he's always on time. We want him to be early because we want to work on our timeline. But God has perfect timing. So they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the lamb. Verse 12, no manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the lamb, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. We're just going to camp out on these three verses, and I want to just share uh, some history about some of these things and what the significance was of this specific day. So the 14th day of the first month, now 40 years later, they celebrated their first Passover. Now they're celebrating it again. So the Passover, it's a feast that commemorated the deliverance from Egypt. We've talked about it a little bit, but I wanna read some scripture today that gives you an overview of the Lord giving the instructions for the first Passover. Because it's been 40 years since this deliverance that they're now celebrating it again. In fact, it's only the second time they've celebrated since they left Egypt. So in Exodus chapter 12, verse five, it says this. This is the Lord instructing, uh, giving instructions on the Passover. It says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Say, without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. It says, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. This is the first month. When all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So what are they slaughtering? A sheep or a goat without defect. It says they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames. These are wooden door frames of the houses where they, eat, uh, where they actually eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, whether uh, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. I'm not going to get into all these details today. What we have so far is a lamb without defect. The blood is spread. Do not eat the meat uh, raw or boiled in water, but roasted over fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Verse 10, do not leave any of it until morning. They were to consume it all as the Lord instructed. If some is left till the morning, you must burn it. Verse 11 says, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Starting at verse 12, he instructs them that on that same night, He's going to strike down the firstborn of both people and animals of Egypt, and he will bring to judgment all the gods of Egypt. He says, I am the Lord. So what is the sign? What is going to cause the deaf angel to pass over? It says, the blood, the blood, the blood will be a sign for you and your houses where you are. And I will see the blood and I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It's the blood that was the sign 
for the angel of death to pass over for protection, which led to the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. There is only one other time recorded in scripture that they observed the Passover before in Joshua, before they got into the promised land. And it was in Numbers chapter nine and verse one. It was a year after Israel's departure from Egypt and the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness. It was at Mount Sinai. In the first month of that year, guess what day it probably was? The 14th day of the first month because God's timing is always perfect. He said, tell the Israelites to celebrate the Passover at the prescribed time at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Be sure to follow all the decrees and regulations concerning this celebration. So it says, so Moses told the people to celebrate the Passover in the wilderness of Sinai. See, it says in Exodus chapter 12, I already mentioned it in verse 48, I won't read it, that no uncircumcised male would ever, should ever eat, could ever eat of the Passover meal. So what happens is, is they're, out, they're coming out of Egypt. They celebrate it on the first year and then disobedience begins and they're disobedient, they're disobedient, they're disobedient. The Lord says, listen, everybody that was of fighting age now must pass away. They're not going to enter into the promised land. So these young men, these, these boys that were born and raised in the wilderness that are now 20 and over, they needed to be circumcised so they could have that mark on them that they are a child of God. And you see immediately what happens is they celebrate the Passover feast. They celebrate the fact that they were delivered from slavery. Passover in the Old Testament, a lamb without defect, blood, sprinkled, angel of death passes over. The Passover in the New Testament, in the new covenant is Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the one without defect, right? Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life. Jesus is the lamb that was slaughtered on the wooden post that we call a tree. His blood was spread on that tree. His blood is the reason. He's, it's the, his blood is the sign to the Father that we belong to him. So that punishment, destruction does not come our way. So when we talk about acceleration bringing access, the access that we have is because of the blood of Jesus. It's because he's the Passover. In fact, he's not just the Passover lamb, but he's the high priest as well. In the old covenant, the high priest was allowed to enter the tabernacle or into the Holy of Holies. There was the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. Just the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place one time of year for the sin of atonement, the day of atonement. In that action, he would go and he would have actually bells on him because if he messed up how to approach the presence of God, he would fall dead. The other priests would hear that the bells would stop ringing and they would drag him out of that place. That was our high priest in the old covenant. But the Bible says, I believe it's in Hebrews and a couple other places that Jesus is not just the lamb. He is our high priest. It's amazing to think about even what happened with Jesus. We always call it the last supper, the last supper, the last supper. Does anybody know what the last supper of Jesus was with his disciples? It was the Passover feast. It was about, he was preparing us to have ultimate access into the presence of God. In Mark chapter 14, it says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal? 
A lot of times we look at those little titles that are in our Bible and we don't like slow down enough to say, what are they participating in? Jesus's last meal with his disciples was a festival, a feast, a festival commemorating deliverance from the enemy. And what Jesus was about to do the very next day was to bring ultimate deliverance from the enemy. The power of sin broken in our life because of the blood of Jesus. We think, well, he's just instituting communion. No, he's talking about a new covenant. So he says, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Right? It's the old covenant passing away. It's being fulfilled by Jesus that we can now have access into the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. We see it in Mark chapter 15, verse 37. I want to show you what happens the moment Jesus died. It says, Jesus uttered another loud cry and he breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. If you understand the, the, the different levels and rooms of the temple, the holy place and the most holy place were, was separated by a curtain that some historians believe was up to four inches thick, like feet and feet tall. I, think, I don't know if it was over 20 feet tall. I don't remember that fact right now. But that's what separated the presence of God from the people that only the high priest could come into. So the moment that Jesus' blood is splattered on that doorpost that we call a cross and he breathed his last breath and he becomes now the perfect sacrifice but also the high priest making that perfect sacrifice, what happens is, is that curtain rips in two from heaven to earth saying there's no more separation from us. We have full access into the presence of God. So we're not begging or moaning. What used to be some fearful act of like tie bells around me in case I mess this up is now it says that we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. It says everywhere in scripture that we can come with confidence right into the throne room of God. That should give us encouragement of how we approach God, right? We still fear him. We still honor him. We still revere him. So yes, he's the final judge. Yes, he's the creator of all creation. But he's also our daddy who happens to be the king, who happened to tear the veil so that we can have access to him. That's amazing. That's a picture of the promised land in the Old Testament. The land flowing with milk and honey. All blessing and abundance. When I, when I, even when I say blessing and abundance, I know some of you, you it just carries just a financial uh, connotation to you and it's so much more than that. Paul even said he knows what it is to be content with little and with much and he knows when he has much, he's gonna give to those with little to be a blessing to the poor. So don't evaluate with where you are based on your spiritualities. Begin to believe by faith that that veil is still torn because guess what? It is. So when he's accelerated, the very first opportunity he had to accelerate our life into the kingdom was through the blood of Jesus. And this happened a lot farther after back in Joshua when they're just celebrating the Passover. But it's a picture of what Jesus was going to do. And for these Israelites to know they were delivered from hundreds of years of torment and torture and persecution and slavery. 
That was a picture of what Jesus was about to do for us. Back to the Israelites. In Joshua chapter five, verse 11, I've already read it. They're having this Passover. Then it says the very next day. So they have the Passover. They have this commemorative meal that I have been delivered from Egypt. I've been brought through the desert and now I am in the promised land. I'm finally in this land that God promised us so long ago. The very next day, it says, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. Now they would have known God's instructions back in Numbers where it says, give the following instructions to the people. When you arrive in the land that I am taking you and eat and you eat the crops that grow there, you must set aside some, uh, you must set some aside as a sacred offering to the Lord. See, what he's saying is this, let's not forget who actually brought you out of Egypt. Let's not forget who brought you through the desert. Because I believe, I, I do, I believe that sometimes when we have greater access, maybe you get a raise, maybe you uh, finally find this friend that you've been looking for, maybe there's a breakthrough in your relationship, uh, a new job, whatever it is, as God increases your access, it can be so easy to forget who is the one that brought you to this place. It's like, wow, I got a raise. Here it is. I'm going I'm to go get my car. I'm going to go do this and this. Instead of saying, wait a minute, I'm going to set this first fruit aside to the Lord. And it might be, uh, if it's a job, maybe it's not financial. Maybe you take that first hour in your, in your new job and you just thank the Lord for it and acknowledge he is the one that is giving you greater access in his kingdom. If it's your relationship, maybe it's a, a son that was far from the Lord is now restored. That very first act shouldn't just be, hey, what have you been up to? Let's take this moment and make it a holy moment and recognize God has accelerated us to a point of having greater access in our relationship. So we're going to give thanks to God for it. We could do that in all areas of your life. Do you understand this? Make these moments in time holy to the Lord. You're saying, I'm not going to forget who brought me to this place. It's an ongoing thing that we can do in our lives. So what happens? They ate the unleavened bread and roasted grain where? Was it in their packages traveling across the desert? Like, I don't know this answer, Kurt. <laughs> it's because the verse isn't up there. It's from the land. That very next day after Passover, they ate from the land. For 40 years, they were given manna to eat. So manna, uh, some people describe them as a, like a little sweet cake. It was like, some people say that it tasted, had a sweet honey taste or a fresh oil taste. Manna comes from a Hebrew word that means what? Because it says in scripture, they asked the first day, what is this? So they enter into the desert, or if you remember, healthy and healed, loaded with silver and gold. And yet the Lord was going to show them, even in their disobedience, he continued to provide manna for them. Every single day in the wilderness, the Lord provided for them. Again, I'm gonna go back to this. The next time that we are tempted to make the excuse that I'm in a desert season, I'm in a wilderness season, go back and remember, every Israelite was healed and not one of them stumbled. Not one of them was feeble. They were loaded with all of the silver and gold that they looted from the Egyptians and they were provided for each and every day. And that's when the fire of God fell in the tabernacle, which would one day become the temple. So a lot of spiritual activity and a lot of provision and a lot of protection actually happened in their desert experience. 
The only thing that kept them there was their disobedience. So we have to watch how we say, I'm in a desert, I'm in a desert uh, experience right now. All right, let's believe for daily provision, for protection, for the fire of God to fall, for him to speak, for him to show up, for him to show you how to worship in a better way. All that stuff happened in the desert. We can look forward to the same. So the manna, the manna had to be eaten that day if they saved some over and a few of them tried, of course, like I'm gonna stock, I have a lot of kids, I'm gonna stockpile, right? I'm sure that was a mom that did that. Like I'm, I'm saving some in, you know, I don't want my kids to go hungry. Or it would become foul smelling and maggots would come to eat. He's saying this, you know what the, Old Test, what the New Testament version of manna is? Give us today our daily bread. They weren't, so the only day they were gonna stockpile was the day before the Sabbath because they weren't to do any work. So God's saying, trust me that I'm going to give you today your daily bread. Of course, we know Jesus is also the bread of life. We don't live by earthly bread alone. But this manna, this was their daily bread. It was their daily provision. It was wiring them to depend on God every single day. And I know I'm probably not one of us in the room are wondering where food's gonna come tomorrow. You might worry, be worried about where your mortgage payment's coming, but probably nobody's worried like with no food here. But do we still intentionally put our hearts in a place of dependence? Like, God, I thank you so much that my cupboards are full, that I have way more than I need, but I wanna depend on you for more, not just more stuff, more of you. I wanna be completely dependent on your presence to teach me and guide me and lead me. That's where we can find fullness of joy. Amen? Amen. So it said in verse 12, no manna appeared on the first day they ate from the crops of the land. It was never seen again. So, So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. So this day had finally come, right? They were in the promised land, in the land of blessing. I wonder out of those 2 million people, how many people woke up that day and looked right at the grass? Like for 40 years, this is your daily provision. And they look here and now it's not here. And God's saying, oh, wait a minute. You're, you're in the abundant life now. You're in the land of blessing. Now I'm not just going to demonstrate my blessings to you. I'm going to begin to demonstrate my blessings through you. You are going to work the land and co-labor with me to receive what I have for you. That is a sign of spiritual maturity. Hear me out. A sign of spiritual maturity is when you leave here, you don't have the conversation, did Pastor Kurt's message feed you enough? Right? It's I am eating from the word. I am interacting with the spirit enough that I am feeding other people. Early on in your walk with the Lord, well, let's just take it really simple. Early on in life, you are fed by your mother, right? You're not picking the flavors or anything else. You're fed. Whatever food they begin to eat when you spoon feed, you still don't have any role in it. Blessings are happening to you, to you, to you. Even when you're old enough to sit at the table, the mom or the dad is still preparing all of the food, choosing what it's going to be, putting it on your plate and cutting it. Now, as you get older, you get to set the table. Maybe you get to ask for a certain type of cheese on your mac and cheese. I don't know. Uh, you get to you know, help clean up. Eventually, you'll get to cut your own food. 
As you're old enough, you'll begin to learn how to prepare the meals. And eventually, unless you're not on the meal plan at college, you will have to cook for yourself. Unless you're really lucky and you do go on the meal plan, find a beautiful woman to marry that cooks for you and you're just scot-free your whole life. I don't know. But it's supposed to happen this way. You are being provided for blessing to you, to you, to you. There's a transitional moment in your life where now blessings are flowing through you. You're benefiting other people with what God has fed you. So it was probably like a shock to these guys. If you remember way back when Caleb and Joshua, yes, Caleb and Joshua and uh, the, the 10 other spies went in and they said, listen, it took two guys to carry a bunch of grapes. These are some big honking grapes. <laughs> but they're not appearing on the grass in front of their tents now. They're actually going to go out and work the land. It's the same thing Adam was commanded to do, right? Take dominion over the land and the animals, work the land, be fruitful and multiply. It was a restarting over. Uh, the only addition to this is they were gonna go in city by city and begin to destroy the enemies of the Lord. So there's a co-laboring, there's an access. And I think sometimes, I remember the, uh, the story whenever, um, whenever Peter and John, I believe it was, was walking to the temple and this guy was begging for years. And I remember, you know, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Now there's rise up and walk and he grabs it and he's leaping and jumping and he's going crazy and worshiping God. But you know, when the next morning comes, he can't go back and beg. The man has to now begin to provide for himself and his family. And it doesn't stop there. I believe the Lord would want him to grow in such a way and prosper in such a way that he would be able to help other poor and crippled people. Whether it's through prayer with healing, with finances, with a meal, whatever it is. Right? Do you see how in his kingdom, Old Testament and new, we're not designed to be consumers. We're designed to be producers of kingdom blessing for other people. Amen? So there's a working of the land that was happening here because of the abundance. There are two scriptures that I want to end with today that anytime I think of, Adam, you can come up wherever he is. Maybe he's back there. Um, there are two scriptures that I go to anytime I'm thinking of greater access in his kingdom. So if I believe that the Lord is accelerating us to a point of increasing our access. That could be in your job. I think, I think last stream might be on back there. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody's listening to it. I just hear myself about five seconds late. Um, reach out, reach out. Okay, thank you. It could be your career, right? So it's, if you're in the medical profession, education, business, finance, real estate, Whatever it is, maybe you feel like, listen, the Lord is bringing me into a greater place of access where I could see more things. Wisdom, the ideas come, things are, my thought processes are more sharp and you feel like that's happening. Then you have to ask the Lord to increase your faith to actually step into that season, right? You don't wanna miss, he's opening the door wide up for you. You can say, listen, everything you put in front of me, you're giving me the capacity to solve these problems. And it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit in you with overflowing. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe you haven't led your family well in the past. Maybe you feel like, listen, today's the day or this season, I believe the Lord's given me favor in this area. As you step into that, you have to believe if he's opening those doors for you, that he's going to give you the ideas, the wisdom, the love, the patience, and the capacity to lead well.
Maybe it's finances. Maybe he has blessed you with an uh, increased income uh, for the teens. Maybe it is. Maybe it's friendships that he's binding you with. You can step into a season or you can miss a season. Okay, so you're in the promised land. God's not going to put the alarm clock on them and drag them out of bed and drag them into the fields and force them to pick the grapes. By faith, with the blessing of the Lord, they walked out there believing this will always provide for me. It will always be there. It will always be the land flowing with milk and honey. So these two verses have been an encouragement to me over the years. Uh, when, when I feel like the Lord's accelerating uh, my life or with Sharice and myself or our family, our ministry, whatever. In fact, this first one is, is in, inscribed on the inside of my ring, in Sharice's wedding ring. It's from 1 Chronicles 4.10, the prayer of Jabez. It's the very first devotion we did together. We learned how to pray for the blessing of the Lord, not for our own benefit, so that we would be a benefit to other people. It says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. You know, I heard commentators and so on uh, when, the, when the book, The Prayer of Jabez came out saying, oh, we're just creating this self-seeking Christian culture and we just wanna be blessed and blessed and blessed. No, 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 listen. When you ask the Lord, to enlarge your territory, guess how much more territory you have to take care of? And if you ask the Lord to bless you, guess how much more blessing you have to steward well? So when you're saying this, you're saying, God, overwhelm me with your goodness, and yet at the same time, overwhelm me with your spirit so I have the ability to steward what you are about to give me. So I'm not just gonna go and buy a larger house that the rooms aren't gonna be filled. As the Lord increases your access and he expands your territory and he blesses you, now you can ask the question, not just, thank you for taking care of me. Thank you that I have my needs met. Now you can say, God, help me to dream what to do with my resources. Wow, like he gives you, he gives you wisdom in the business realm. And let's say people start to come to you and come to you and come to you in your business to solve problems. Go beyond that. Say, Father, put me in contact with other businessmen and other businesswomen that have problems. Send them to me that I can rely on you once again. You'll give me the daily manna as a partner and co-labor with you so that I can help solve their problems as well. Right? You see how you can start to look at yourself as a producer, not just a consumer of his blessing. Will protect you from harm, it says, right? Keep me free from pain. He just wants an easy life. No. No, no, no. He wants a strong, healthy, focused life so he can impact the most people able. he's able to. That's not a selfish prayer at all. God, keep me strong. Keep me focused. Keep me healthy. Right? Heal anything that's wrong with me so that I can walk in the ways of your kingdom. You got to think about this much bigger than outside of the church realm. This would apply for you nurses, for you teachers, the businessmen, men and women that, that operate in a, in a laboring position, often are in an environment where there's just profanity and alcoholism and so on. Come on, ask the Lord, increase my access. Give me, enlarge my territory of influence with these people. Maybe you're just driving alongside with one other guy. Maybe the Lord this week will send you five, 10, 15 other men or women that you can influence for his kingdom. But by faith, we have to be ready for this. The other verses that have given me encouragement are in Isaiah 54. This is about future Zion. This is prophetic about the church. 
I'm taking for it for my life right now. And I believe you can grab onto it as well. It says, sing, barren woman, you who have never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because, here's the result, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Watch verse two and three. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess, that means strip away nations and settle in their desolate cities. So what's happening here? There's first a promise from the Lord, right? That there is going to be a lot of descendants. There's going to be generations that are going to increase in the family of God. But what has to happen? God's saying to Abraham too. Abraham couldn't like make this stuff up. He's saying, I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the sky that you could ever count. So that's God's promise. But then Abraham actually had to leave his comfort zone. He had to leave what he knew to be his homeland. So what's happening here, they're saying, expand your tent. Pull on those ropes to stretch it. Strengthen those stakes that are in the ground, which means we have a co-laboring to do. I honestly believe sometimes the Lord wants to bring us, he's accelerating us, he's giving us access, but we don't stretch on that fabric enough. We don't pull on those ropes. We don't ask the Lord to give us greater and longer stakes to put into the ground. So he says, I love you, I bless you. I want you to continue to follow. Your tent's just not ready yet. You're not even believing that it's gonna stretch from the left to the right. So he's gonna look for other people to accelerate. It's not meaning he's left you. He's always gonna be with you. But that acceleration, that access, that increase, the enlargement of the territory is going to be with people who are doing that stretching, who are saying, I'm ready to put the stake in the ground. You're not gonna force God's hand and you're not gonna rush him. But you can say, man, today's the day. I'm grabbing hold of that fabric and I'm gonna pull on that skin. I'm gonna pull and I'm ready to enlarge. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's a faith, right? Because you're not saying I'm ready in my own strength. You're saying I'm ready to be overwhelmed by your blessing and your increase because I'm so ready to be overwhelmed with your Holy Spirit. So in all of this, you remain dead, right? You've already died and you continue to let Christ live through you in a much bigger way. Why don't you stand at this time? Something either resonated uh, with you in this message or not, when the area of access. And I, I, I don't want to belabor it, but I do want anybody who feels like the Lord is bringing them into a season of greater access where he is enlarging your territory in any realm of your life. It might be finances, it might be business, it might be you know whatever, in your classroom, uh, it might be with a relationship. I just want you to come down front and I just want you to spread across the front. If you feel like the Lord is bringing you to a greater area of access and, and enlarging your territory, or if you're saying, God, I can believe you for this. Actually, just take one step back because I want people to come and pray for you. Just take one step back. Or if you're saying, I'm ready, I want to step into something new. I want to step into something fresh. Because I believe that the Lord's gonna do it. I believe he's going to simply honor your step of faith. 
So as Adam prays, what I want you guys to do, if you came forward, actually, can you just slide down just a little bit? We'll let some of these other guys in here. I want you to just take a moment and confess those things out. You know, I've asked people several times before, like if, if time, money, and resources were an issue, what would you do with the rest of your life to make a difference for God? I've asked, what's the dream in your heart? And they'll say it, and they'll actually be surprised when they hear it come out of their mouth. Like, have you ever told anybody this? No. Not your spouse? No. Have you ever verbalized it in prayer? No. I don't know that I ever have. There's something that gets activated in your faith where you say, God, I'm admitting it out loud that I actually believe you're accelerating me in this area of my life. I actually believe you are growing my territory. It's not a selfish prayer to believe, to say, God, I believe that you're going to give me the wisdom to solve any problem in my business that comes our way. Send people to me with impossibilities and let me show them how big my God is. Right? That's the faith that we can have. So I want you just to spend a moment verbalizing those things to the Lord. If you're in the, in the uh, pews, I want you just to pray for these individuals right now. And then in about two minutes, I'm going to ask anybody that's on our altar team to turn around. We're going to begin to pray for these guys. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.